Um, this morning, I want to uh, talk to you about what I call the real Christmas. Now, during the holidays, I always like to take at least one message just to remind us all what the actual Christmas was like. You know, each Christmas, there are millions of people who struggle emotionally during the holidays. It's kind of odd, isn't it? Here, it's supposed to be the happiest time of the year, but yet a lot of people struggle and uh, can actually struggle with depression and uh, they feel anything but happy. The reason is quite simple. It's just unrealized expectations. We see this picture of Hollywood that Christmas should be warm and fuzzy and joyous and peace and all this kind of stuff. And in reality, their life isn't like that. And they start to feel very, very badly. The actual traditional picture of Christmas that we see is not only inaccurate a lot of the times, but uh, people fail to really capture what it was truly like. You see, we make it look warm and fuzzy and cozy and it's almost magically romantic as you see the pictures of the Christ child and the manger and the nice soft music and stuff. But the truth is, it wasn't anything like that. The reality is, this was an incredibly miserable experience for those who were involved. We look at Mary. Here an angel appears to Mary. Now you would think if an angel appears to you and encourages you and talks to you that life has to be good from here on out. Wouldn't you think? I mean, angel showing up. Hoochie mama. This has got to be great. You know, the Lord has given me favor. God's going to bless me. I'm going to be the special chosen one. And uh, the angel takes off. And from that moment on, Mary's life seems to go right down the toilet because things get incredibly difficult for her. First of all, there's the unexplained pregnancy. Now, you can imagine how difficult that was to sell to the fam. An angel told me. Well, I'm sure they didn't buy it. Would you? All right. And uh, I'm sure she got a lot of static and, you know, at best, they thought, well, maybe someone had forced themselves on her. She'd been raped and she won't talk about it. Or at worst, she was being promiscuous. I mean, this is a very awkward time, As, uh, especially for her. She's a young lady. She'd already been engaged. Well, now the uh, not only is the family freaked out, Joseph, the fiance, is freaked out. She's pregnant. Oh, my goodness. We got to call this thing off. We got to break it off. Uh but an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, calms him down, says, listen, this is, this is from God, uh, so, so hang in there with this thing. So they pull through that, and they're moving forward, and she's not too far away from having this child, when all of a sudden Caesar Augustus comes along and says, all right, we want to take a census, and talk about it just on the spot. You know, I mean, this, these guys had, everybody had to go back to their family's origin to be counted. Now, can you imagine the inconvenience if the government today were to announce, we want everybody to go back to where their great-great-grandpa lived and we're all going to have a big count. Well, this would be unbelievably inconvenient to people and hardships galore. But they had no choice. They were under this occupying army, the Romans. Uh, they feared the Romans. And for just cause, these were very, very strict people and you didn't comply. It wasn't a pretty picture. So they all had to go on this stupid journey and off to their families. And, and Mary, because she's uh, 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 engaged to Joseph, has to go to where Joseph's family is from, from some little town called Bethlehem. So here they go off to, on this trip. Now you can imagine how miserable of a trip it was. Um, you know, they show her 
riding a donkey traditionally. I don't know if it was a donkey or if it was in a cart, but you can imagine being, I don't know how many months pregnant at this point, riding along on a donkey or on a cart couldn't have been much of a thrill. Or even if she had to walk, this was a long way. They didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles. Everybody had to just basically walk there along with the help of some animals. They get there. She's ready to pop. Okay, not in the best of moods, I'm sure, having been around certain women like that, my wife. But, uh, and now there's no place to stay. Now you've got to wonder what in the world the angel meant when I was going to be blessed. Because I don't feel very blessed. Everything kind of stinks in my life. I'm having a hard time. I'm on this stupid journey. Now there's no place to stay. Surely God could have arranged a room. But no room. Joseph is going around checking out one place after another after another. And finally says, well, I found a place. Where? Let me show you. And as they start to head towards the manger. I can imagine that look Mary gave him. Now any man married more than a week and a half has seen this look. <laughs> it's that look, you know, where you think you're being helpful, you're doing the best you can, and your wife looks at you. She doesn't say anything. But the look says, I will kill you. And they get into this barn and now she goes into labor. And again, they paint it as such a pretty, warm, fuzzy picture. But it's not warm. It's not fuzzy. There's not pretty music going. La, 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 la. It's more. <laughs> and all the associated wonderful aromas that come with those sounds. Good grief. Where is God? Seriously, think of what it had to be like. It had to be miserable. And if anything, you would think God has forsaken us. This little boy comes into the world. Then all of a sudden, these people show up. Now, these aren't the beautiful people of the area. These aren't the rich, famous, the religious, the top mayors of the area it's a bunch of shepherds these guys were way down on the social ladder and all of a sudden they show up want to see what happened and oh my goodness what an icky situation they were faced with not too much longer after that mary and joseph get a dream that says you better get out of town something horrible is going to happen and then herod sends his soldiers in. Now he had heard a rumor. Someone talking about this Christ child being born. This man was so insecure. So paranoid. Of his own power. And felt threatened. That he made a decree that. Every boy. Now stop and think of this. Every boy two years and under. Would be killed. Can you imagine the horror. As men are busting into your home. Grabbing every little toddler little boy. And running him through with a sword. And leaving. And you don't know why. Why did they do this? What a horrible thing. The Bible says there was wailing. Crying, screaming as people everywhere. Were crying out for their little boys. 
Here you would think this should be a time of nothing but great blessings, great joy. But it's been inconvenience after inconvenience, suffering after suffering, and to tap it all off with even death. But in the midst of it all, God could not have possibly, literally, physically been closer. Here he was, in the flesh, God incarnate, in their arms. So well, how, how can that be? How can things be hard when God is around? Well, the truth is, following God and the path to following God is not always easy. So often we proclaim, boy, you just accept Jesus in your life, everything will be easy. That's not necessarily true. He never said it would be easy. In fact, Jesus often used analogies like yoke, burden, picking up your cross to follow me. In fact, we read throughout the Bible, it's more often to see difficult roads for people who choose, who chose to follow God. Sometimes God would deliberately take people in a direction that made things worse before it made things better. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance yet to come on our Wednesday night Bible study. It's a great time. It's really my favorite time service of the week. Where we open up the Bible and we go through a book of the Bible one verse at a time. We're in the book of Exodus right now. We're reading the story of Moses coming and telling the children of Israel, God's going to deliver us, tells Pharaoh, let my people go. They've been in slavery for 430 years. And God finally does these incredible, you know, these plagues are just hammering the Egyptians. They finally say, all right, already, get out of here. We can't take it anymore. So God starts to bring the people out, arguably in the millions. The Bible says there's almost a million men alone, not counting the women and children. Do the math on that. There had to be, there could have been two, three, more million people coming out of this nation. And the Bible says specifically that God could have taken them an easy path to get to where they needed to go. But he didn't take them down the easy path. He led them out toward the Red Sea. And when they got to the sea, now they're trapped. Deserts on the sides. A sea in front of them. And Pharaoh looks at this and goes, man, are these people dumb. They don't even know what they're doing. They're wandering lost. He thought they were literally lost, the Bible says. And he was so ticked off. And he thought, man, I'm just going after these people. That's why they felt so inspired to go back after them. They're sitting ducks from a military situation. You're in a bad place. You've got no place to turn. And he sends his chariots. Actually, he goes with them. Chasing after the Israelites. Well, things are looking really bad. And the people knew they were looking bad. And they turned on Moses. They turned around and said, what? Were you thinking? For heaven's sakes, we're in a horrible situation. You brought us out here to die? What is the deal? And they're just railing on Moses. And Moses turns around and he's freaking out to God. God, what have you done? You made things worse. Have you ever felt like when you're starting to do the right thing and really standing in your faith, sometimes things will actually get worse? You ever feel trapped in your life? Or it seems like you can't turn to the left or the right. You're just, you're kind of doomed. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you feel like God has let you down. He hasn't let you down. You're not out of the will of the God. You're probably right in the middle of the will of God. Because oftentimes he takes people down paths deliberately. That kind of traps them in. Why? So he can show his love and his power and his glory in their lives. 
And he does this with the Israelites. Moses is freaking out. God says, what are you yelling at me for? Stretch out your arms. See what happens. The water pulls back. Now, honestly, if you saw that, would you want to walk in that? I mean, I mean, it's cool. We got two Niagara Falls here happening, right? Whoa, whoa. Okay, let's go. You, you can't be serious. Come on, let's go. Well, they felt highly motivated because the chariots are over here. They got no choice. They cross over. God does this incredible thing, delivers them. The Egyptians try to cross, zap out the whole thing, wipes them all out. Now, they're kind of trapped again. They can't turn back, which is the Bible says that's the reason God took them that way. If they had gone the other way, it would have been easy for them when they got tired and whiny to just come right back. He wanted them to go through something that burned all the bridges. Once they got out of Egypt, there was no more turning back. I love reading about people of faith. Moses was a man of faith, even though they were constantly whining and bellyaching and complaining. He never let up, never let up, never let up. kept trusting God. I love just tenacity. I was thinking, trying to think of analogies of this. I was thinking last night of this. This isn't a very spiritual analogy, but... Uh, you ever see this movie, Monty Python and the Holy Grail? It's like, this is hilarious stuff, right? Very twisted British humor. And uh, there's this scene where the uh, knight has to get past this other knight to, to go on their quest, right? Well, this knight is there and he's armed and stuff like that. And uh, he thinks this is going to be really hard. And he reaches over and just cuts off his arm. And the guy says, it's only a flesh wound. He says, I don't need my arm, I'll kill you anyway. Then he cuts off his other arm. And he's standing there with no arms. It's kind of gross, that's why I'm not showing it to you this morning. But, uh, uh, but it's hilarious. And he says, I don't need arms, I'll kick you to death. And the guy reaches over and cuts off one of his legs. And he goes, I don't need a leg, I'll stomp you to death. And then he cuts off the other leg and the guy's just laying there on the floor. And the guy starts to walk away. And the guy on the floor goes, you coward, come back here. I'll bite you to death. I mean, I, I love. I thought, Lord, make me. Don't I mean, don't put me on the ground with no arms and legs. But make me like that. Make me that kind of tenacity that I'm not giving up. You know, just like in the Christmas account, just like with Moses. There's so many times when you read in the Bible, God doesn't always show up in the way that you think He would, in the ways that you would expect. There's a great story I want to show it to you in uh, uh, the Old Testament here of uh, the prophet Elijah. Now Elijah's bummed out. He's depressed. He's having a hard time. And uh, God shows up to him and he says, listen, I want you to go to stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. So he goes up there, he's by this cave and he's just hanging out. And uh, all of a sudden it says, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Here comes God, smash, 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 wind just everywhere, just blowing everything around, busting boulders. You think, wow, here's God. But the Bible says, but the Lord was not in the wind. Elijah didn't sense God in there. Would have been easy to think God was there because God, so many times in the Old Testament, would just come just with huge displays of power. But he wasn't there. It says, after the, after the wind, there was an earthquake. Here the place is just rocking and rolling and shaking. You think, wow, now God is showing up. But it says, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. Then after the earthquake came a fire, and I'm sure it just toasted the place. <laughs> fire everywhere. Just You think, wow, this has got to be God. This has got to be God. But Elijah didn't respond because he says the Lord wasn't in the fire. So here you hear these three gigantic things. Elijah just sitting there. 
didn't sense God in any of it. And then it says, after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, then he got up. He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then God started to speak to him. So what are you doing here, Elijah? And he starts whining. I've been zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars. They put all your prophets to death. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me. God says, step out of it, boy. He says, there's 7,000 people like you out there. You think you're the only one left? You're not the only one left. And he told him to go outside anointing and doing things. But it's interesting when you start watching how he could sense how God would come in an unusual way, in a whisper, as opposed to the big noise. That was a great... Final thing I want to share with you here. This is in the Gospel of Mark. Um, story of, of Jesus uh, healing people. It says, when he came with his disciples, they came to Bethsaida. And uh, some people brought a blind man to him and begged Jesus to touch him. Why would you do that? Because Jesus is touching all these people. And it's, it's, it's a cool thing. I mean, he just, you know, lays hands on sick people. They're instantly healed. Or he just speaks to people and things change. Uh, we read the one story where Lazarus had died, his friend, and he was laying there dead for three days. I mean, Hoshi Mama, you're pretty dead after that. And, uh, but you think it'd be totally hopeless. You think your situation's hopeless. Can you imagine being dead for three days? That's, a, that's a kind of a bad sign. And Jesus just speaks and says, Lazarus, come forth. And the guy hops up and comes bouncing out of his tomb. <laughs> that, that would have been cool. I hope they got TiVo in heaven because I want to see some of this stuff again. Let's check this out. He would just speak and stuff would happen. He'd touch people and they'd be dramatically transformed. So they got this blind guy and said, come on, let's bring him to this Jesus guy. All he's got to do is just touch him. Bada bing, bada boom. He's good. It'll be simple. It'll be quick. It'll be easy. So they bring him to Jesus. It says that Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Where are we going? Where are we going? Why, I thought you just touched people. I thought, I thought you just said something and, and stuff would happen. Where, where are we going? And who knows how far they had to go and why he took him outside the city. We have no idea. It doesn't say. All of a sudden he just does Something unusual. And I'm sure everybody's kind of confused. What, what, what's going on here? And you think that's weird. Look at the next thing. And then when he spit on the man's eyes, he hocks a loogie on the guy. Now that's pretty weird. Now I've got to assume that if people come forward for prayer in my church and I spit on them, that not so many people would come to church. They'd call us the church of the loogie or something. You know what I'm saying? So here Jesus spits on the guy. First of all, he drags him out in the city. And then he spits on him. Like, what in the world? What are you doing? And then he put his hands on him. And then Jesus asked, this is really interesting. He says, do you see anything? Now here is Jesus, the son of the living God, God incarnate in the flesh. Been just doing one miracle after another. Boom, boom, boom. Walking on water, all this stuff. All he's got to do is say it. It happens. Touch people. But bing, bada, boom. He's taking this guy out, spits on his eyes and asks him, can you see anything yet? And the Bible says, he looked up and he said, 
I see, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. In other words, it was still kind of blurry. It wasn't quite working yet. Boy, a lot of us had given up right there. We're saying, <laughs> things are just not working. It's just, well, first of all, he hocks a loogie on me. Now it's just kind of blurry. It's not working. I don't understand. I tried to trust in God. I prayed all things got a little bit better, but I, it just never worked. That's exactly the way a lot of us react. We get so impatient. Why is this happening? Why am I trapped in here? Why am I stuck? I got no place to go. Why aren't things moving the way they should be moving? How come things aren't happening quick and easy? And and why am I going through this stuff that I kind of see, but it's still not working? Once more, the Bible says, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly now. Now he got his miracle. Now it happened. You read these things over and over again in the Bible. How God just kept showing up in different ways and unusual circumstances and situations. But no more odd than the Christmas story. How weird is this? Everything seems to be going wrong. Man, I'm telling you, if you think you would think God was with somebody, you wouldn't have thought he was with this young couple. What icky situations they were in. Nothing's working for them. The only thing they can find is this barn. Oh my goodness, you just feel pity and sorrow for them. Wouldn't surprise me if some religious people think, you know, God's just not blessing them. Obviously, there are sinners of some sort. Because <laughs> God blesses me, and I never have bad things happen to me. You know, looking down their ecclesiastical noses at them. But when God seemed to be the farthest away that he could be, it wasn't physically possible for him to be any closer. As there he was, God incarnate, in the flesh, in their arms. I'm going to ask our ushers at this time to get ready to serve uh, communion in all the campuses here and musicians can get ready to uh, play for our communion time. Let me ask you a question. Are you having a difficult time in your life today? Think of the Christmas account. In the midst of just horrible circumstances and when it seemed like God was a million miles away, he could not have literally been closer for in that manger smells and all lay the Christ child God in the flesh God come to the earth to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world I don't know the circumstances some of you might be facing today I don't know if things are getting better or if they're getting worse I don't know if you feel liberated or if you feel more trapped than you've ever felt in your life. I want you to know something. God has not forsaken you. Even when things get hard. Jesus made this promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Hang in there. Be persistent. Trust God. His promises are true. Does it seem like God is a million miles away from you this morning? Guess what? 
He's right here. Right now. Maybe you've never really had an experience with God in your life. You know, just going to church won't really cut it. You can go to church all your life. It doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage will turn you into a car. So I thought that's all there was to it. No. So, well, what is it? What's true Christianity about? It's about experiencing God in your life. You say, how do I do that? By putting your trust and your faith in Him. You see, Jesus came to the earth not to give us a cute little Christmas story. Not to be a warm and cuddly little boy. He came to grow into a man who would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. That's what we celebrate when we take communion together. We're reflecting on the fact that his body was broken for us so we could be whole. His blood was shed for us so it could wash away our sins. That's what true Christianity is all about. It's all about forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Have you experienced this forgiveness in your life today? If you haven't, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with us. I'm going to ask everybody everywhere to bow their heads all across our campuses this morning as we pray a prayer together. And I'm going to invite everybody to pray this. But if you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong in your life and put your faith in Christ, you can experience God's forgiveness in your life today. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much. You went to the cross. And you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life. And to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender to you. 